One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So is this an MBD? Yeah, MBD. At the moment, I'm reading Plant Anarchy by Sasha Engel. There he characterizes classical anarchists as a typology of anarchists. Oh, actually, I'm going to cut this whole section. Sasha Engel's Plant Anarchy, part one of salvaging and blowing up. Waking up in this world means waking up to a nightmare of endlessly proliferating repetition. Repeatedly, I wake up and I'm already tired again. Repeatedly, I open the window and hear the early morning airplane repeating its daily thundering overhead. Repeatedly, I perk up for the briefest of moments as I feel the crisp air and hear faint birdsong as I step outside for my daily, repeated run. Repeatedly, both are drowned out by the same cars and buses repeating the same journey to the same offices over and over. Repeatedly, the entities inside these cars or buses, barely awake, go through the same repeated motions each and every day. Eat the same five-a-day food groups, pretend to care about the same lines going up and down on their office screens, and laugh at the same fail videos on their smartphone screens before they go home to watch the same sports on their TV screens. Repeatedly, everything gets more expensive. Repeatedly, everything gets worse. Repeatedly, identical clowns vie for the same offices with repeated slogans and repeated smiles, interrupted, it seems, by actual fascists whose gestures, however, are likewise repeated, just from a different playbook. Repeatedly, liberals glibly speak of rescuing human society as though there were something worth rescuing. Equally, repeatedly, and equally glibly, leftists speak of salvaging productive industries as though there was something worth salvaging. Each day, the spectacle of rescuing and salvaging promises new and eco-friendly ways to continue the empire of repetition. Each day, those officially professing to resist this empire, activists of Extinction Rebellion or climate strikes, remain a part of it. Quote, their actions perfect the system of control, smoothing out its internal contradictions. They strive to create the repairman state to engineer a more perfect death camp. End quote. We are not here to rescue or salvage anything. We are here to blow things up. The empire of repetition is vile and disgusting, and there's nothing worth salvaging within it. We follow instead a different path, paved by primitive and egoist anarchy, and now ours to develop further. We are here to get anarchic anti-politics out of its rut, ready to detonate the empire of repetition. This empire spans the entire globe, now reaching out to outer space and the ocean floors, and it seeps into every crevice of our bodies, too. Everywhere, social norming, political discourse, systems of classification, the state, machines, and computers write the collective pain of repetition into the world. As we explore each of these formations in this book, we will see that each is, in one way or another, part of the empire of repetition. Thus, each of the ideas against them that we develop in this book is a part of our detonation of the empire of repetition. The reason why this empire of repetition is so insidious and so successful is, as we will see, its ability to assimilate all that resists it. Repetition constantly overwrites the renewal that aims to counteract it which means that our attacks of the empire of repetition must leave the beaten paths of resistance. To do this, the core concept we introduce here is iteration. This concept comprises both repetition and renewal, and thus allows us to grasp the empire's mode of self-preservation, why attempts at resistance are failing, and what we can do about it. We will use it here to draw out some tentative signposts that will guide us along the way, each of which we will return to at greater length in later chapters. 
The foremost manifestation of iteration is writing. Exploring writing gives us a first grasp on iteration and how the empire of repetition works through it. When I write the word tree by hand or by machine, it remains recognizably the same word. And inasmuch as it does, it is repeated. But it also looks different depending on my handwriting and which font the machine uses, and again differently depending on its position within the sentence. Inasmuch as the word does look differently each time, it is renewed each time. Repetition is not complete, though it is sufficient to establish legibility. All writing is iteration. Not only is the same word both repeated and renewed when handwriting is transcribed into print or if I change the latter's font on my screen, even if the word tree is printed multiple times in identical fonts as it is on this page, this print happens in ever different contexts. The meaning of the word tree changes depending on its context. The quotation marks around it, for instance, change its referent. Instead of referring to a tree in the real world, quote-unquote tree now refers to itself, to the letters making it up. Here, too, the word is recognizably repeated with or without the quotation marks, as its reference to a material object is merely suspended when they're there and back in full force when they're not. But the word is also recognizably different each time, as this reference is, as it were, cited. In other words, the word is iterated, repeated, and renewed. All speech is iteration, too. When we speak, we use the same words we use when writing. The word tree, quote-unquote, when spoken out loud through my mouth or quietly in my head, is again recognizably the same as the word tree, written by hand or printed, and is again recognizably different, too. Speech iterates writing, and writing iterates speech. We will get back to this, and the classical notion that only the second half of this statement is true in chapter 2. Iteration is authoritarian because its manifestations constantly overwrite each other. This can happen in one of two ways. In the first way, one manifestation of iteration outright overwrites another, as when the smartphone's autocorrect feature overrides my spelling idiosyncrasies, or dyslexia. In the second way, one of the forms in which iteration is implemented becomes the norm for the others. By overwriting and norming, the empire of repetition manifests within iteration. Every day is a bit different. The morning flight is delayed, the cars are in a different order, the graphs point down instead of up, but the extent of these differences gets smaller and smaller as ever more repetition takes hold. We will explore this in chapter 3. Some of the norming by which iteration solidifies into repetition is old, entrenched, and very sophisticated. Thus, canonically in Western philosophy, speech is the norm of writing. In spoken words, we are told our authentic truth is evident. I am, as it were, personally present in the battlefield of speech, while the same words, when written, are just an inauthentic quotation of my original speech. As we will see in chapter 2, this particular norm goes all the way back to Greek philosophy, but pervades much of our political discourse to this very day, including classical anarchist politics, to the point where we need to move it out of the way to get to a place of genuine resistance. At the same time, though, old and entrenched philosophical norming still manifests in the minutia of office culture. The empire of repetition extends to every nook and cranny of our lives. Thus, the very same norm by which speech is more authentic than writing is also the norm requiring Western office culture's insistence that every sales email is preceded by a phone call, even though the content of both are typically identical, and indeed the email is frequently more thorough and useful. Hence, too, the requirement for meetings instead of memos, and for reading conference papers out loud in academia before publishing them in conference proceedings. Writing, to be sure, is more official and formal, but speech is more authentic. I need to sign a written statement by my own hand. 
whereas the voice is its own authentication. Iteration solidifies to repetition in the grand gestures of philosophical thought and the petty details of cubicle politics. The movement by which our lives are absorbed into the empire of repetition is the same in each such gesture. Not every such gesture is as sophisticated as the classical philosophical canon, either. A lot of them are simply prejudicial. For example, the authoritarianism of legibility requires that a printed word is more legible, and thus the norm, than one that is handwritten, and again that certain types of handwriting are more legible than others. Hence schools double authoritarianism requiring first the norm of cursive handwriting, and second, further down the line, the norm of using laptops for everything. Norms can thus pile up within iteration, which solidifies them gradually into purer and purer repetition. Indeed, the entire social universe consists exclusively of iterated norms vying to override each other and crystallize into repetition, as we will see in chapter 3. Iteration as a whole, however, is also inherently authoritarian because its repetitive element, through every one of its manifestations, systematically overrides deexis. Deexis is the term we use for spontaneous directedness of all expressions of life. Just as iteration purifies and crystallizes into repetition if its repetitive norming dominates, so iteration dissolves into deexis when its element of renewal prevails. Just as the empire of repetition manifests within iteration, so iteration manifests within deexis. So our fight does not end with pitting iteration against repetition. We go further to what we will call deictic frontier. In humans, deexis is a finger pointing in a certain direction, without any specification as to what it is pointing at. It is the gesture of pointing before constituting a thing that is pointed at. Think of a finger pointing into the distance on a hike or in the fog, when you don't yet know what it is pointing towards as you take in the panorama, or lack thereof, while following its direction. Following the direction of the finger in this situation is nearly pure directedness, there is no thing yet which the finger references, just pure, fleeting deexis itself. As soon as there is a thing, as soon as you realize what it is that the finger points at, or when the person pointing adds a verbal description, deexis gives way to repetition. The finger now points at something, which is singled out. The process of identifying the thing can begin, which is to say, the process of overriding deexis with ever more repetitive iteration. Recognition of a thing pointed at, even pre-verbally, singles this thing out, stabilizes it, and thus introduces repetition. Now, every time you look at it, it is the same thing. It does also renew every time you look at it, to be sure, as the light changes or you've moved around on your path and thus its angle or its context changes, but it's still the thing you've seen before. That is, it is now integrated into the universe of brittle, singled-out things, which is to say the universe of iteration, repetition, and renewal. By recognizing the thing, you have written it into the world. You have allowed the iterative outskirts of the empire of repetition to begin closing in over a part of the continuous unfolding. Deixis is pure directedness toward an unfixed, unstable, and undifferentiated constellation within the continuous unfolding of the world. Getting as close as we can to this continuous unfolding is the aim of the anarchic anti-politics that we pursue in this book. There is nothing worth salvaging within the empire of repetition, nor the ugly, loud, smelly totality of iteration surrounding it. But we contend that anarchy does not unfold within the empire of repetition, it unfolds against it. By burning down its manifestations, we can find and develop here the logical forms of an anarchic anti-politics that can leave the field of iteration. This is what we will do in the fourth part of this book. For although we iterate gestures all the time, the crystallization of repetition is neither destiny nor fate. 
There are degrees of iteration. Verbal or written identification of the thing introduces a greater degree of repetition into the iterative mix, moving it further away from DXs. Now you don't just see a green and brown shape every time you look up, which may be surrounded by other such shapes and thus may still have unstable and unfixed boundaries, even if it's no longer undifferentiated from the world's continuous background. Rather, you now see a tree whose shapes and colors are defined by the concepts of a tree and are thus fixed in the space of your mental mapping regardless of their angle. Thus the constellation is now defined by the term. The tree before you iterates its concept. Repetition overrides the excess further as iteration solidifies. There are various forms of iteration by which repetition writes a tree over an indeterminable and unstable brown and green constellation. Besides the human finger pointing, for example, there are also so-called sortal predicates. Words like this and that or you and it. These constitute a transition from the finger, which singles out temporarily, to an as yet undefined but more stable identifier, which then solidifies further into the verbal or written identification of the constellation as a tree. Iteration is thus the general process by which deictic directedness is overwritten by iteration, which solidifies and crystallizes into discrete things. These discrete things do not exist prior to the process of crystallization. They are written by it. Repeatedly pointing to a section of the green and brown continuum before me, as I sit here, I at first single out from it a this, a what am I pointing at, and then associate the this with the sound tree, which ultimately resolves into the letters T-R-E-E. -E. These gestures thus write the thing into the world in the same way that the sound tree is written into it, and again the same way that the letters T-R-E-E -E too. The thing does not precede the sound and the letters. This is why we are taking such a close look at writing to get started. Writing letters on a piece of paper or a screen only makes explicit a more general process of writing things into the world. The this singled out by my pointing finger, the association of the this with the sound tree, and the association of the sound with the letters T-R-E-E -E, are all manifestations of the same iterative process moving away from DXs. At each point, repetition layers itself further and further over DXs. We will encounter this layering again within the social field in chapter 3, as biological classification in chapter 4, as linguistic domestication in chapter 6, as machinery in chapter 8, and as computation in chapter 9. At each juncture, we will develop our resistance until, in chapter 10, we create the general logical form of it. This is Chichi and Donnie fucking don't. And the topic of the week is never been done. Published on November twelfth. Original poster. This week we'll talk about anarchist NBDs. In skateboarding slang, at least in some circles, NBD is shouted when a trick is done for the first time, and it stands for never been done. Novelty, for its own sake, is not necessarily beneficial as can be said of anything, including variety, routines, iteration. Nevertheless, let's discuss what are some things that anarchists have never done before. Use your imagination to come up with acts that defy expectation and go beyond what we routinely see reported in anarchist media and counter-info sites. Sounds simple enough, but knowing a bit of anarchist history will let you know that anarchists have already done a lot of things. How do we call an anarchist NBD? Oh, is it enough that an anarchist hasn't done it yet, even though non-anarchists have done it before? 
Or does it have to be something truly no one else has done, because it's something only an anarchist would do? I think it shouldn't be something no anarchist has done specifically because it goes against what they desire. Anyway, the point is to be imaginative and break out of ruts, so even uncommon acts with some few known precedents are welcome if they are exceedingly rare nowadays. Okay, so do you have any thoughts on it? Um, I don't love it. Okay. Uh, it definitely is more of like a history trivia question, maybe, than a opinion. Um, I think about when I used to do a lot of media interviews, and they would always tell us to just answer the question you wish they would have asked. Yeah. Instead of the question they did ask. Oh, no. You're and so <laughs> I'm, I'm not pivoting, but... The thing that I've been thinking and talking a lot about lately is the new book by Vincent Bevins called If We Burn, A Decade of Mass Protest and the Missing Revolution. So it's not a necessarily a never been done, but it is a, in recent history, not been done. Okay. Um, or, and, and we, we'll, we, we can circle back around to that. What were your, uh, uh what were we, your takes? You got some notes here. We can absolutely go back to that. Um, I, I actually, I, yes, I made notes. I'm a ver I need some structure, <laughs> uh, to, and when I don't, it's always worse. But anyway, so yeah, that, that was in one of my points that I wanted to bring, like, not necessarily things that never been done done ever, but things that never been done today in in our context. But can can we push it a little bit further? Because I before we get there, I do want to discuss a few things about never been done. The first thing there is a difference I think that between never been done and never been written. Uh, it's really hard to know what's never been done. Uh, and I think usually what we see repeated, I mean, we, we've seen things that had sort of been done before repeated, but I think what we see a lot is things that have been written before, just being written again as if it's a novelty, like a novelty, is it the right, I don't know, anyway, as if it's new, and I think that one, there is something that happens and it happened to me as a teen, like when I was starting to know about, to learn about anarchism. And then I would suddenly meet someone and starting to tell them all the amazing things I was reading as if it was something absolutely new. And then somebody would, oh, I also read uh, Godwin. Oh, I also read Malatesta. And, but I never got offended by it because I was so excited about learning all these new things. Or things that I, I thought that I was the only one that had thought about. <laughs> and then I find out, oh, I'm not the only one. That's fucking awesome. So there is sometimes I feel it might be like a cultural thing. I, I feel like people don't, either they don't quote enough or they don't read enough the consider classics. It, it is mentioned in the beginning of this thing unrelated. But anyway, it's not part of the discussion today. We can... Anyway, but uh, I do think it's... We can always learn a lot, even to have new ideas. Like, because our ideas don't come from nothing. They come from other people's experience and other people's ideas, even when we don't realize that. Because 
yeah, some things just get stuck on us and suddenly we have, oh, I had this new amazing idea and actually it's just because thanks to people doing and thinking other things, we are able to do that. Um, I think, so for like writing things where people write something and you said like don't quote enough or don't reference older things and act like it's the first time it's been written. I Which is not necessarily bad, but go Yeah, on. well, I was going to say, I, I like it. Uh, I think writing comes out of contexts and appears in new contexts, you know? So like Days of War, Nights of Love and a lot of early crime think stuff or like the coming insurrection. Like these texts didn't have a lot of like capital N new material. In fact, like when my friends and I read The Coming Insurrection, we were like, what in here is new? But what is new in that is the con is the way they've been put together, the way they've been written for the their target audience and the context that they're being dropped into. Or like in the case of Crime Think, where a lot of people were like, oh, this is like same thing that I liked it better when like the situationists wrote it. And it's like, no, you didn't. Like, have you read the way the situationists wrote it? Like, it's fucking or boring. Or maybe they did because like. Well, yeah, maybe you like reading dog shit and that's fine. No. But what I liked was someone taking the situationists gobbledygook and bringing it down for me. All right. I've got a high school education. I'm not the fucking students that they wrote it for or whatever. And I, yeah, I, I appreciate it. And, and, and putting it in an American context where it talks about the suburbs and it talks about, you know, this, this much later capitalism that we're in and, and, and orients it towards something, something different, you know, and I, I, I really appreciated that. And, you know, I mean, I guess, yeah, the, and, and, and I think the not, I think the part of the value of putting out new things and acting like they're new is that people like new things. So if you're not, if your goal isn't to just dialogue with the same boring anarchists who have been doing shit for a hundred years, but non-anarchists, which I feel like was the project of both like early crime think and the coming insurrection, then to tell them that you're, you're plumbing a hundred years of history for your ideas is not necessarily like a useful thing other than maybe having like an appendix in the back or something of like breadcrumbs yeah. for people to follow if they I'm, want. I'm pro the appendix in the back. Okay, here's something. Acting like things are new when they are not, I, I don't think that's, that's because if I'm going to read something and I think, oh, this is a new thing, they're saying it's a new thing. And then when I read, I said, oh, I read that a hundred thousand times before. Then it's not new. It's just boring. But I do agree. Like it is new for somebody, and it's new in some way that it's good. Like I, I do agree that something like it's okay to rewrite things that were written before because it might make sense for somebody else in another. If you say, if you tell the story in another way, people have different ways of telling a story, and they might make sense in, in different ways. Like I personally, I like most of the classic, call so-called classical anarchists. They make a lot more sense for me a lot of times than reading the new ones and sometimes I just get annoyed but that's me that maybe have an old soul <laughs> or or just it's maybe it's just because of the language and the context as you said like uh, a lot of the US context doesn't make as sense doesn't make much sense for me because I didn't leave it like I had it for outside sources and I'm not sure I think I'm starting to understand a lot of things now that I'm living here, but things that didn't make any fucking sense uh, 
before because okay I can read it but I when I read it it just sounds stupid it's different when you see oh okay so that's what that's what people mean okay so things starting to make a different sense so yeah I'm I'm also pro uh, but also I think it's good to say you can read more of these like as the appendix you said there, these other people wrote things about this like go go read if you want like yeah. go check them maybe they will make more sense for you or not or you will find things that I didn't when you read them yeah so that's the thing about writing another thing and this is something somebody it's it's a easy way out but i i think it is an introduction to what you were bringing at first somebody wrote in the comments that today i read it because there was not that many comments and a lot of them it it was easy to skip i always skip a lot of them because i don't ha i don't share the same sense of humor <laughs> so somebody said about the quote a heraclitus uh thing that thing of you're never the same a man who crossed the river is never it's never the same river and it's never the same man and it's a very easy quote to use but it's also it is in some in some it makes some sense like if we think about the revolution so right so what one thing that i'll be interested in discussing about it's like what are the things that what something would look like if they it was made today you know like what how as an example how sabotage looks like today how and then you can go back to the old ones and what did they do and how it would look like if it was done today because how would a revolution look like and is it possible or is it Uh, does it still make sense? So things that were done in the past in a certain context, how it would look like today? Because, yeah, we need to take into account this fucking old digital life that exists. And like even the thing with borders, like uh, traveling around borders is not as easy as it was before. Like Bakunin would be would have a much harder time today or, or Malatesta or they, they all would have a much And they had, of course, their own hardships and that we might never understand absolutely too. But it's it's different. Doing these things, some of the things today, they would be absolutely new. And like, yeah, I never... I One thing that I would like to see, it's maybe somehow an experience like the the Paris Commune or the Spanish Revolution would would look like today i don't know if we can consider like the um, kurdish revolution that maybe in, yeah and and a lot of people try to make the connection with the spanish revolution i'm not sure of it but maybe yeah that's one thing but also like it happened it like in in, in the syrian context the the middle eastern context so or so what it would like would look like in a more western context that's where we're living that's why i'm bringing it i'm just trying to bring it to where we live anyway but okay so now i made the introduction so you can bring your vincent bevin revolution thing <laughs> no i just um he's got a new book out that i'm excited to read i've been listening to like a lot of interviews with him um on a few different podcasts and it seems like he's put together like a really great set of like hundreds of interviews 
uh, with different people who are involved in, you know, what for most of my life has, has or for most of my adult life, you know, has been uh, a series of like very large mass uprisings. You know, I, um, I came of age during like the Iraq war uh, or like at the very beginning of like the Iraq war, like I was like 18 when 9-11 happened or whatever. And, um, you know, we saw and, and shortly thereafter, there was like the Green Scare uh, where, you know, the ELF were basically dissolved by maybe even retroactively dissolved uh, by the U.S. government. Uh, but also, you know, we saw cells infiltrated uh, by informants. Uh, the Stop Huntington Animal Cruelty campaign was shut down basically as soon as the federal government decided they were tired of it, even though it had been on this like invincible roll prior to that. Uh, they lobbed RICO charges against, you know, Earth Firsters opposing the I-69 campaign. And so a lot of the like animal liberation and Earth liberation and I feel like anti-war milieu all kind of like funneled into this insurrectionary anarchist milieu not to use that word like over and over again but environment environment <laughs> yeah great and where the idea was like basically as long as there's a u.s government like no activist campaign and no like actually controversial project is going to be able to last and so all these different like single or like limited issue activists poured into into this one social setting right people who like, I know coming in, like, I watched the largest demonstrations in history at the beginning of the Iraq War, and they just did absolutely nothing to stop it at all. And so, like, my perception of, like, nonviolence was, like, that it was a very flaccid, like, pathetic way of going about things that didn't have any any bearing on the outside world beyond, like, the actor's own, own mind, you know? Uh, and, and yeah, and that like similarly, like various campaigns were only as successful as they were unthreatening. And yeah, and, and, and this, this idea permeated, uh, throughout different activists and anarchist communities that, yeah, basically like toppling the U.S. government was perhaps the first, the first order of business. And we set about with books to prisoners projects, trying to stir the shit in there by sending in zines and setting up reading groups. And, you know, people started trying to popularize the idea of, of rioting. And, and, you know, you saw small ones on the West Coast, uh, in the mid 2000s. And then, you know, slightly, uh, in, in 2009, you know, you saw the Oscar Grant riots, which were not anarchist instigated riots, but were certainly anarchist supported riots in a way that became like a pretty recognizable pattern relatively quickly. But yeah. And then out, out East, you know, you did have like, I mean, the, the old Asheville 11 case that was a bunch of felonies and stuff came out of this, this thing where people were kind of trying to like teach people how to riot because Americans, especially like activist white Americans don't, didn't know how. And the Iraq war had made that like terribly obvious. And so like teaching, teaching a generation how to riot. And, and yeah, I feel like part of that was coming out of the context of like the anti-police riots in France too in 2006, which were 2005 or 2006, right? Which were actually the same context that the coming insurrection comes out of. And then in 2008, you have the Greek riots that do spread across their country and do really change the social fabric and context that they're operating in. And I feel like it was really only a matter of time until after that you saw both that tactically jump the pond and then also we start seeing the Arab Spring pops off. 
And to me, like the Arab Spring was actually this like very disillusioning situation. I think a few things happened all at the same time. Uh, you know, the Egypt went very badly and became like a worse or arguably worse dictatorship than it had been before. And Syria slipped into like a civil war that other than the stuff going up and going on in like the corner that was Rojava, like the rest of the country, you know, you like it was just the government versus like ISIS and other like jihadi organizations. And so like there was no side to fight on there. It was just like the the most well-armed extremists versus like a dictator. In a, and, and so those that was pretty bleak because it was like, OK, so if if you riot successfully and topple whatever the thing is that's running your country, like uh, where do you go from there? And I didn't I didn't really have answers, but it definitely pumped the brakes on a lot of the stuff I thought we were doing. You know, there we th- there had been some small like not riots, but like destructive protests uh, in a city right next to mine where they had killed a young uh, Latino kid in the back of a police car. And so people were throwing down pretty hard and like we felt like we were headed towards this thing. Uh, and then, yeah, and then the Arab Spring just went so fucking badly. You know, Libya went really badly. Um, and it, I didn't really have language for it uh, at the time. And I just kind of wa- like it just left me feeling like I had no answers. Uh, and now like a decade later, yeah, uh, Vincent Bevins has put out this book. I really liked his uh, The Jakarta Method book, which is like a – uh, history of like U.S. anti-communist action, uh, drawing ties between like Indonesia and Brazil and a few other countries. And this is his survey of uprisings in Egypt and Syria and Brazil and a, a variety of other uh, Chile, Hong Kong, and kind of this this model that we saw rise, right? This like very um, digitally networked, decentralized, horizontalist mass protests uh, that seemed to like jump between cities and uh, generally started with like a single issue that then like protests that then received police repression, which then exploded it into uh, a larger series, uh, like a much larger uprising. And why all of those seemed to fizzle or, uh, fail, fail to push through basically. The, 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 the NBD is have, have even the most generalized protests and like militant uprisings, uh, amount to anything in the long run, I guess. And that's, Maybe that's the NBD is, is, is this new model is like we haven't – like there's this idea that we – during the riot, we build you know these different forms of interaction and community or uh, cooperation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then those things generalize and that we kind of like build the parachute on the way down or whatever. Uh, and yeah, like a decade and a half into that project, I'm just – I'm not seeing it. And he is exploring uh, and kind of comparing and contrasting a lot of different 
of those situations. Okay. I think there is, and I think this is a very American thing of thinking like, what is a success, what won, what didn't win. And, and I think things are, I like to see things in less like who won, who didn't won, or what succeed. Because in this sense, like, and here's the thing, I don't never read Proudhon entirely because I, I have a hard time, but I usually like what other people write explaining his things. But anyway, there is this thing. So Proudhon has this, this perspective and I'm the kind of person who likes to quote other people. So, okay. Uh, especially the classic ones. So I'm, that's why I'm doing, uh, so there is this idea of like the, the, the little war and that's, that's how basically life is. Like there's not like winner and loser. It's, it's a constant battle and it's a very simple idea. But so when I see, yeah, like you have a, a big riot and it might change some things and then you might have like a, a very repressive response for it. But then at some point you will get another different of explosion uh, from all people who are so when even when you have like a repressive response to it i don't think it's necessarily you lost you there's a loser it, it's just it's kind of how the new things emerge like then okay so you broke into something and you created this new situation like the riots created this new situation and then you have a not so new response that is the repressive but that will bring at some point, another new response to it about like, and and just you were saying uh, you were saying that he talked about like the the uh, even the riots in Brazil and that I know a little more and I sh I sh I don't know a lot but I know like the 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 2013 riots that were the big turning point there. It started with nothing new to be honest. I mean apparently not new because there was there was this small group that was against the rise of the fair like that was their main point and they would do it every single year and they would do the same thing every single year but there was 2013 specifically that it became something else and it was because the context was a different one because people were mad about and it opened to a lot of things including like for the right wing like not that that was not the main point like the main point because also the the anarchist movement kind of had a new a new air there because it was it was not as actively pu public actively uh, <laughs> public public publicly active active, active public. yes as before as a result going further in history uh as a result i guess from the 9-11 response in the whole world like what they did to the anti-globalization movement and since i brought that up just another footnote i love footnotes i apologize for that but there is this thing of the, the you i was thinking of the you told people were told how to riot here. And it's funny because during the anti-globalization movement in Brazil, people were taught, uh, like people from US and Canada went to teach some tactics and it was actually awful. It like fucked up the, the, the Brazilian 
demonstrations because they when they went there to teach these tactics, they didn't take into account the Brazilian police. I mean, the Brazilian context in general. And so, and, and people were just uh, very excited with the anti-globalization movement and the fact that we can learn things from other people. And so a lot of people just embraced it. And those people were so much beaten up by the police. Like, as never... In the bright side, it made the news. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. No, I mean, the, the, the same people who came down there to try to teach people nonviolence and civil disobedience or whatever were the ones who spread all that shit in our countries, like, through the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. And, that, and when I say that people needed to be, like, at least, like, middle class or, like, white or whatever, people, I mean, like, the black communities in our country have like a healthy history of rioting um but that like a lot of americans need to be taught how to write is, is exactly like like correcting for the work of those people who came down to try to teach people how to like blockade with their bodies and bullshit like that is like like america tries to export those tactics all over the world because they're ineffective yeah you know yeah. where and yeah and like <laughs> basically yeah people needed to like like people would would throw small protests in order to like show people basically that like, yeah, you can like break windows and you can like throw stuff at the police and you like, like trot out like a new hard banner in DC or whatever. And like, like, like I, there, there was this like, yeah, concerted movement to show people that you could be combative because yeah, outside of the Bay, like basically like protests in the U S I feel like had become like distinctly uncombative, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah. So I haven't think much. I had I hadn't think that before, but I think the never been done from an anarchist perspective, or not just from an, but from a resistance perspective, if we want to put it this way, that the resistance it's I think it's always sort of new, like because it it, it does something that will break something, and then you will have like a repression, and and then you will need to come come up with something that will break again. So there is always something new being... And, and also, there's a lot of new things being done that we're not always aware of. And if we want to bring, like, the... Because there is the thing with fighting, like, the gender and sexual establishment things, like, it always existed, and it's always a response... This is something that is always a response to people's specific context in history and space and whatever. And yeah, sometimes if you read some Emma Goldman's text today, you say, oh, that's such a bullshit. But I mean, what it was not. And and also some things we read, we still can see that it it's not. And And anyway, even if it was, like it was her and other anarchists trying to deal with that in that point. And yeah, and like nowadays, this conversation is a very different one. And I think it's even a different one from like the newer generations, like they're the ones that are teens or in early 20s now, like from people that are now on their 40s or 50s. It's, um, of course, people talk with themselves and learn with themselves but it was also a different and 
So there you have like new things coming up that are not just in the riot context or revolutionary or whatever you want to call. So there's I think we can also think about never being done things in a more personal level like what and I think it's healthy for everyone like okay so sure somebody else did it but did you have you tried do you want to try and so what have you been doing in your life that you haven't that you never did before uh I think that's a a healthy mindset you know and it doesn't need to be as an example for me like I was part of a group for I sort of still am but anyway I was actively part of a group for 20 years and we did a lot of things that they were all new for me and I it was awesome and I learned so many things and like I'm the person I am now much because of it and it was anyway it was very important for me and it, it but it was also very consuming because I wanted to I wanted to be consumed by it but the thing is that now that I kind of took a break from it I've been trying things that I have not been done before not because I haven't done other things but like starting being more involved I don't know with with the union at my job that I n was never really like I I have been unionized before. I just was never that involved. And it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just like something new. And I'm f fucking learning things from that. Good and bad. And trying to do things like, okay, so how do you start a community, communitary something in your neighborhood or in, in a certain group? How you start some kind of activity and bring things and make it works. Uh, so in the, because those are things that were always in my mind in my life. Like I, when I was, I didn't live in the US, like I was always thinking, how can I, like I had so many ideas of things that I could do in my neighborhood. Okay. So we can just gather these neighbors and, and do like some cultural uh, center, whatever. And and I had these ideas, but I never, because I was always consumed with other things that were more important for me at the time. I never did that. And I feel now that I'm kind of opening a space for me to try these other things. And my, I might find out that they, at some, they are shitty or whatever, but just, I mean, I'm just learning and just trying and it's being great I mean it feels good you feel alive when you're <laughs> trying something else in your life that it's not the same thing that our same routine every day I don't know yeah I think that's what I have to add to this topic of the week sounds like a wrap okay <laughs> we did it lavatimos <laughs> 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 yes, we did it. We okay. did it. Bye. Okay, so I forgot one thing. Uh, there's something that has been done once, as far as I know, and I hope it happened again, that during the Spanish Revolution, or... Right before, anyway, uh, 
that period, that era, uh, there was this anarchist. He was an anarchist sculptor. His name was Ramon Assin. And he had promised uh, Buñuel that he would fund his movie if he won the lottery. And guess what? He won the lottery, fund his movie, and fund a lot of other things. So I'm pro-anarchist winning the lottery as instead of the money going to wherever. I mean, anyway, I'm, I'm pro that. So anarchists win the lottery and do amazing things with that or just burn it. Burn the fucking money. Destroy it. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, anything else? Okay. That's it.